Well, hello and welcome to a special edition of the Race Formula E podcast. Today, we speak to the first ever ABB FIA Formula E world champion, Nick DeVries. After an eventful, chaotic and often controversial season of all-electric action, DeVries and the Mercedes EQ squad scooped both titles in what was just their second attempt in one of racing's most complex disciplines. I'm delighted to welcome Nick to the show today. Many thanks for joining us. How does it feel, Nick DeVries, world champion? Um, it makes me a little shy, I have to admit. Um, of course, I'm, I'm extremely grateful that the fortune chose us to, to win the championship. Uh, going into the last round, there were theoretically 18 drivers that were still in contention for the championship. Um, so it really came all down to the last day of the, um, of the championship. And uh, as you already rightfully touched on, it, it has been a little bit, a, little bit of a controversial season with, with a lot of kind of um, different race winners and, and a lot of drivers uh, scoring and not scoring and everyone being a little inconsistent, which I think is mainly down to, to the format. Um, but ultimately, the, the way I kind of justify it to myself is, you know, um, I think after London was, um, was the third time we were leading the championship. And um, if, you, if you go back, I think we, we were also the one that was leading most of the championship. Um, so, yeah, in, in the end, it all worked out. But I, I clearly uh, want to acknowledge that, that we've been extremely lucky on, on the Sunday. So, so that's why. Uh, my euphoric feeling has also been uh, slightly different. You know, I, I want to, I'm happy and I'm grateful. And uh, I think it, it's it's a great reward to the team for all the hard work they've done. And uh, I'm happy with, with obviously such a prestige title, but, but it was a bit of an odd season. However, you know, we were kind of leading most of it. So, yeah, I guess uh, I can't be, uh, I'm allowed to be a little little happy and proud. Oh, I absolutely think you're more than entitled to that. Well, joining me, Andrew Vandenberg, to chronicle and discuss Nick's successful season is the race Formula E writer Sam Smith. Uh, he's fresh out of rehab after a tough season in the paddock. And like Nick, he had that extra bonus of a week at Le Mans straight afterwards. Uh, Sam, as ever, let's start with your thoughts on Nick, uh, his career and when you first got to meet him. I think probably as most people were, it's when he was karting and, and signed up by McLaren at a very young age. But actually, in terms of seeing him in action, it was probably only at his first WEC race in, I think, 2018, when I saw him uh, drive for the Racing Team Netherland squad. I've only known, well, I mean, I've known Nick for a couple of years and, and been impressed with what he's been doing in Formula E. But, you know, one of the linchpins of that sports car team, and, and a guy I've known for over 20 years, a guy called Mark Kernser, was was very complimentary about Nick when he came into sports cars too. So, you know, a year later, he came onto the Formula E radar. And in fact, it was around this time that I found out um, that he'd actually tested the Gen 1 car way back in 2014 as well. So actually, his Formula E history is is pretty is pretty long in, in a sense, but uh, certainly he made, a, he made a huge impact when he came into the championship back in, back in 2019. Well, before we look back at this season that's just passed let's do a little bit of prehistory shall we and uh, go back to the summer of 2019 Nick you were leading the F2 championship and on the way to the title you were racing in LMP2 and life was pretty busy and then this opportunity came up with Mercedes EQ um, can you recall how it all came about and what your reaction was to that opportunity? 
Yeah, very often people ask what your reaction was after a, a certain achievement or, or disappointment. I think probably the, the, the question is more applicable to disappointment because disappointment happens most of the time suddenly and, and abruptly, whereas success is built up over a, a long period of time. So uh, the reaction is obviously uh, satisfying and, and, and good, but at the same time, you're living towards that moment. So uh, during my Formula 2 season in 2019, um, uh, that was my first year. McLaren and I kind of split it um, ways and, and we both went into yeah, our own directions and I went uh, out to, to uh, yeah, look at opportunities outside McLaren. And that's when Mercedes and I got in touch and I did a simulator assessment with them, which went very well. So I started to do simulator work for the Formula One team. Uh, and alongside that, I was obviously racing in, in Formula 2 and, and doing well. Um, and in the back of the, my mind, I, I, I was aware of the kind of new project that they were building in, in Formula E. Um, so I could, yeah, I was kind of oversee, overseeing a potential opportunity there if, you know, there was no real movement in the F1 paddock. And, yeah, I felt like Formula E was clearly a place I, I, uh, I wanted to be. Um, so actually the conversation started quite early in the season around Monaco time uh, was the first time we, we met um, after our win and, and we talked about it and then yeah it, it went quite quickly from there it was obviously announced after the, the Monza F1 race and then two weeks I think two or three weeks later uh, we clinched the championship and then I had a couple of mad weeks because Obviously, I was just announced, and then a couple of weeks later, we won the championship, and then I went straight to uh, Fuji WEC with Racing Team the Netherlands to to race with them, and I probably did one of the best races of of my life uh, there. Um, even though I was ill after, you know, all the stress and everything that you know was released, and also I had a, I had a couple of nights partying, obviously after Sochi, so. I was really drained and, and I, I did another great performance there uh, in, in kind of a consecutive um, streak of, of very special moments. So, yeah, I, I, I sometimes uh, on short flights when I look through my pictures and I, I, I just go through from that time, I, it, it just amazes me what all happened in, in those couple of weeks. And then my journey started with, with, um, with Mercedes and Formula E and, yeah, I, I'm. I'm just um, uh, again very grateful for the opportunities I got given and and uh, how how I've been able to yeah to make them to make the most of them and and obviously become champion uh, this year with with obviously everything that happened. But yeah, ultimately uh, that is what counts, and and uh, no one will take that away from us. Sam, we've seen quite a few people struggle with to make that adaption from uh, traditional single seaters formally, but from what I um, saw, it looked as though you know Nick had a really solid beginning straight into uh, to the category. What did you make of his first season? Well, he was definitely the standout uh, rookie performer. That that's for sure. I'm convinced that um, had the calendar gone its duration in in 19 and 20, he would have won a race. I think that was without doubt. Um, the clues were there from really early on, actually, especially at the Santiago and Mexico 
City Epres, I remember. He he should have got his first podium in Chile, but got compromised by a post-race penalty. And then in Mexico, he was looking pretty strong. He, he was second for a time and then had that infamous breaking episode, uh, the issue that uh, collected Robin Frines at the first corner. But he'd, he'd sort of already proved then that uh, he got former. He understood it. He adapted. He... He got better and better, and he absorbed this, you know, this massive amount of information uh, that goes into a driver in, in different inputs, uh, which they have to juggle as well. So, and he was able to shadow Stoffel Van Dorn in in Berlin to get that season-ending one-two, which kind of uh, kind of teed up something which I think was brewing for 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 the season that's just passed. Yeah, for me, Ed. It was the, the Marrakesh event after Mexico. We were also on the way to a podium when we when we had a penalty and had to uh, go go through the pit lane. Yes, that's right. I remember. Yeah, yeah. There was some bad luck in those races, wasn't there? But you know, welcome to Formula E. Yeah, but it all it all got it all got back or came back um, this season. If if I may just quickly interrupt um, and and add to that regarding or concerning rookies. I think um, it, it is a complicated championship, but at the same time, I, I think you also see many rookies doing doing well. Um, I mean, of course, Jake Dennis did a did a great season uh, this this year, but at the same time, the the, the and I, I don't want to put this in a in a, in a negative uh, perspective because I was in the same situation. Often, the um, rookies also get a slight better opportunity especially in the beginning of the year, and that was in my case as well, um, because you're in qualifying group three or four um, because you didn't participate in the previous championship. And then often, um, for some reason, well, it, it happens, but you qualify well, but something happens. Either you get penalties or you just can't finish in that position. So what happens is that you, you often qualify in front and then you can't execute and then consistently stay in, in, in qualifying group three and four. And then, yeah, eventually, obviously, the, the, the time comes that you execute and then it, it comes together. But I also believe that, that from that perspective, rookies are slightly almost favoured um, in the beginning of the year because they have this kind of qualifying group advantage. Yeah, it's a very good point. Um, switching forward to, the, to your championship winning year, it's often the case in motorsport, it's the where the hard work is done, where championships are really won, is the bits that people don't get to see. So the pre-season preparations when you're testing at glamorous locations like Califat or Mallorca or places like that. So you can take us through a little bit of how the off-season worked because it, from, it appeared that Mercedes made quite a big step forward with their powertrain uh, over the close season. Yeah, um, of course... Um, after Berlin, we, we analyzed our, our six races and season very well. And we looked at our competitors and uh, we, we had a kind of plan of action and, and we had um, um, several kind of key focus points for us to, to work on. And uh, clearly in testing, we, we had, a, yeah, had a plan to, to try and um, improve as a team in, in those areas. And then obviously uh, the new powertrain as well. But ultimately um the the cars are very very similar informally and the powertrains as well i mean if you look at how close the the qualifyings and, and practice sessions are it's ultimately in qualifying you're allowed to use 250 kilowatts and 
almost everyone is now able to to get very close to that. So it's not like your powertrain has a lot more power than someone else because 250 is the kind of is the maximum. Um, but I think it's it's very much um, about the the execution, the setup, the the, the balance of the car, and uh, then how you use all your software, how you use the tires, how you prep the tires. It's it's that's where I think uh, a lot of work goes into, and that's where you you can make make a difference because ultimately the chassis are the same, the bodywork is the same, the tires are the same, the power is the same. Of course, you have a little difference in efficiency, but in the end, it's a very uh, in the end the, the the difference are not that big. So execution and working together as a team uh, and and having done all that preseason work in 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 trying to improve all the areas we felt we we were lacking um, that helped us becoming yeah slightly stronger for for um, for the past season. So Sam, all that hard work paid off when Nick arrived at Deria and was really on it all weekend. I think you actually described his performance as robotic uh, over that first race. But of course, then we had the drama of the second day in that uh, Edo Mortara shunt. Yeah, a bit of background on <laughs> on that description. It actually came from a quote from a, a rival team principal and who was just so impressed with Nick that he said he was sort of like a robot on that Friday at uh, Duria. So it was, you know, it, it was said in, um, in in the right way. I, it, it's hard to disagree because the pole, the win, um, just the the way that he executed the race. I mean, it certainly wasn't an easy an easy victory. You know, there, there wasn't a huge margin he had and he, he just seemed to manage the race so well. But it, what it made clear was that Mercedes had a, a really efficient and a really quick package. Um, and they immediately sort of set their stall out. Um, obviously, the 24 hours later, it was a very different story. And as often happens in Formula E, the joy turns to pain pretty quickly, doesn't it? So uh, it was certainly true for Mortara. And, and that meant that Nick and the two of the Mercedes uh, had a whole new challenge because they, they couldn't qualify, which meant they started from the back. But, you know, even then, Nick was able to come through and, and score some uh, score a decent result. So... Everything was pointing towards Mercedes being at the forefront of the uh, off season seven, and 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 so it so it panned out. There was there was the the, the sort of mid season trough, which you know I think most teams had some some type of uh, dip like that, and I think that's quite quite normal in a way in, in Formula E. But as Nick mentioned, you know the the season was defined by the qualifying format and a combination of that and the fact that because the rules were so stable that everybody just became so bunched up and the margins were were so fine so that's what I remember about the season but in terms of the start of it um, yeah Nick had a really strong weekend in uh, in Saudi. Nick one of the more memorable incidents in the season is of course what happened in Valencia and the sort of uh, energy mismanagement maybe that happened with a, a lot, almost all of the cars being unable to finish the race. Uh, at the time, you were pretty much supportive of the FIA and Formula E stance. Uh, do you still take that position? Uh, yes, I do. I do. Um, because there are certain rules and uh, they have slightly been modified. But, but in the rules at the time um, was was written that the FIA has the right to decide whether they want to 
um, do the energy reduction. So um, every minute we spend behind a safety car or during full course yellow, we, we or the organization, the FIA, is entitled to reduce one kilowatt hour. Um, I think the, the, there were a, a number of different factors that came together in that particular occasion. Um, first of all, it was wet and it was a very energy sensitive track. And I think majority of the drivers was not uh, or were not enough um, kind of looking after their energy because, you know, it was wet, so it didn't matter. But, but actually, the track was so energy sensitive that it, it certainly did matter. Then um, actually, Techita and the Costa had the opportunity to make the race a one lap, but they made it a two lap because they, they went early after the last safety car restart. So, so they had the opportunity to make it a one lap race. And, and at that point, everyone would have finished. And, um, you know, we, ha we had a, an, an energy delta, uh, an advantage over everyone at that stage. But I will be honest, I doubt it would have been enough to, to challenge uh, Antonio for the win in that just one lap. Um, but they, they decided to go for, for two. And then the FIA decided to, to do the energy reduction as usual. But what you have to remember, you have um, 52 kilowatt hour for a total race. Um, but if you do that energy reduction or a energy reduction in the beginning of the race, mid race, or at any point during the race, but the end, then obviously it, say you reduce by three kilowatt. Um, proportionally, then you divide the remaining energy over X amount of laps, like 10 or 15 or 20 laps, which will not have a great impact uh, at your, your energy target. But for instance, in this or, or actually in this case, there were only two laps left. So that means that if you only have, let's say, um, five kilowatt left and um, they suddenly reduce three, Proportionally, that is a huge amount. And I really believe that many people were caught out by the, the impact the energy reduction had on the, on the target, on the dash. And I think the FIA was caught out by it as well. They just didn't, um, um, they were not aware of the impact that it had by doing such energy reduction late in the race, because proportionally the change is much greater than when you do it earlier on in the race and um at the restart i remember antonio was pulling off in the distance to me and i was under pressure from the people behind so i'm not sure whether their energy targets on their steering wheel was correct or they didn't just believe it because it was so low that you know you were just literally almost coasting the whole lap i don't know but i think they they did so much damage in the first two straights um, in terms of consumption, that then, yeah, then there was no way back and, and, and uh, they kind of lost out. So it was a very particular situation, but not being arrogant, but, but we were very much in control. We didn't have any doubt at any, any point. And I believe that, um, yeah, with the work and preparation we did, we, yeah, we managed to, to, to make a difference. But I think it, it's harsh to just blame the the yeah the FIA and organization for it because uh, we all know that the rules 
are written the way they they were and 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 we all knew that the FAA is entitled to do it Sam the way Nick and Mercedes handled that ultimately ended up winning them the championship didn't it I I that that's harsh to say that well, no, it's just that the points that it's not that it was because of that, but the points that you gained as a result of your interpretation were the difference ultimately, weren't they? Yeah, but I think there are also a lot of other occasions, for example, Saudi Day 2, where we had an extremely strong package and were forced from the back of the grid, where you could have said, if we didn't win the championship, that's where we lost it. So, you know, the season has been so um, eventful and controversial that I think you can have you you can name hundreds of moments uh, hundreds of moments for, for every everyone on the grid that it could have been a, a championship decider yes or not I mean of course um, Mitch Edo and Jake will say that what happened on the Sunday was the cause of not winning the championship but I I I, I mean I really feel for them but I don't think that's entirely fair because Ultimately, the last race of the championship gives the same points as the first, the second, the third, and the fourth. And everyone had their moments. And yeah, it, it somehow got together or came together for us. But I think it's it's too harsh to say that that was uh, yeah, the key point to our championship. I, th- I think in terms of Nick's win in Valencia, of course it was a, a valid and well-judged win and, and, and he rightly celebrated. But obviously we all know there were bigger bigger questions, more existential questions or whatever you want to call it. I mean, you know, Nick and, and his team, his side of the garage, and actually Stoffel as well, you know, he finished third too after starting from the very final grid slot. You, you've got to remember that Nick started seventh as well after his Rome penalty that day. So there was a there was a, a really good element of strategy to his race and the, the flowing nature of that circuit, everybody knew was it was going to be tough on energy and tyres. I mean, with the weather, the tyres was, wasn't as critical as it could have been. But what no one could foresee was the amount of race neutralizations, and as Nick described very eloquently, the the amount of energy that was deducted by the FIA. That final kilowatts, again, as Nick said, I mean, you can call it what you want. I called it a miscalculation by the FIA. They were completely entitled to take off whatever they wanted. But the fact is, and I think most people agree, they just took off too much. This opened up a can of worms and in some aspects made Formula E look a bit a bit silly, to say the least. So what compounded the situation for Formula E, in my opinion, was how it was handled afterwards. And the communication that was coming up from particularly that, you know, that statement they put out about energy management, blah, blah, blah. And and it was just, it was not the right, right way to react. I just thought it was a bit of a bit of a nonsense and it did a lot of damage to the credibility of the championship specifically on on those points but again nothing taken away from Nick and and Mercedes I don't think anyone disputed that because they ultimately won the thing but when you've got Nico Muller taking second place after being in the gravel in the pit lane for half the race then something's not right and sure enough the FIA reacted with this you know by tweaking the rule and giving the race director um, you know certain parameters to work about the the reduction and then it was just one example. I mean, you know, if we're talking about sporting 
controversy during the year that the Lucas loophole, as you as you so eloquently put it, Peter B in London, you know these things kept cropping up. And again, the bigger picture from my point of view and my opinion entirely is the overriding memory of this season. Quite apart from the chaotic nature of the qualifying format, was just the sloppiness of several aspects of the rules, which for a series that is now a world championship. I just thought, you know, I think I just thought that needed questioning. And when it's so visual, like like it happened in Valencia, it certainly needs to be uh, called out and changed. And that's what happened. Nick, um, Sam mentioned earlier on that there was this period in the middle of the season from Monaco through to London where you really seem to struggle to get a result for a whole variety of reasons. Very little of them were performance-based. How hard was it to sort of keep the momentum up in the face of all of that? Um, yeah, it's it's tough because um, I, 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 I first of all want to acknowledge our own uh, lack of performance in, in some occasions, which uh, were Monaco, uh, when I accidentally hit the power switch through my qualifying lap, uh, which, which could have been a much better qualifying position. Um, and then the outcome of the weekend would have been significantly different. Um, and then we were also lacking a little bit of form in in New York. Um, uh, help me to remind what was in between, obviously Mexico and what else? Uh, New York. Uh, well, okay, so those three. Um, so we, I, I kind of, uh, I, I kind of, uh, I was quite vocal about the qualifying format, and then I, I saw certain news, um, yeah, uh, pages, um, uh, take, yeah, kind of making headlines, and 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 that's fine. Um, I I take that, but I also acknowledge later that um, you know we also acknowledge our. Um, kind of uh, lack of performance in especially um, New York. But there, there is no real explanation for it. I, I really believe that the qualifying format um, uh, had, a, had a big play uh, and a big part in it because in Mexico, we had a super strong package. We were quickest in, in FP3 and, you know, two times we qualify, uh, you know, basically, basically last. And then in the race, race one, uh, I was taken out by Robin and still came back to the points. And in race two, I was taken out by, by Lucas. Um, and in New York, we were just not strong enough as a team. But ultimately, how unlucky can you be to have just rain for qualifying group two on the Sunday and literally the whole group two being last on the grid? Um, then some people from the back of the grid managed to get back into the points. Um, so, so fair play to them and they did a better job than us. So we were not strong enough as a team, but, um, as I, as I pointed out, we, we had our, uh, we have to take our responsibility for some of the struggles we had in, in that phase of the championship. But at the same time, um, I think, yeah, various situations were also not helped by, the, the format. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's clear that something has to change on that qualifying format. It was fine, Sam, as we've discussed on this show many times, when there were bigger performance differences between the cars and you could recover, but now things are so tight, it, it really was just casting a lot of people to, you know, midfield tail end obscurity. But coming back to the season, it was those brace of second place in London really transformed next season and set them up perfectly for Berlin, didn't it? Yeah, I think so. I thought I thought Nick and Mercedes were excellent all weekend in a, in a very challenging environment in London. It, you know, it was a new track. It had this 
quirky inside outside uh, format to it and it um you know the track clearly needs some work before next summer because aspects of it were were, were not uh, conducive to to a world championship really I, I remember thinking and i'm sure i said this on the post london podcast that that those drivers um had the hallmark of a i mean particularly nick had the hallmark of a of a champion elect his drives were just very well judged very patient um aggressive when he needed to be but again seemed to be seeing the bigger picture of how the the championship was evolving and to get two runners up positions from starting in group 2 and then group 1 in qualifying in london highly impressive and i felt contributed significantly to his to his title obviously um just to emphasize as well the tight nature of this mad season as nick sort of said before and and how how anarchic it was um had roland not have made that error and ended stoffel's race we could easily have been talking to stoffel instead of nick right now i mean that's just that is just how close it was tiny tiny margins and I know we can look at hindsight and every driver pretty much on the grid, or let's say three quarters of the drivers on the grid last season have those tales to tell. If this hadn't have happened, if this mistake hadn't have happened, if this sort of twist of fate had not happened, then they could have got the big prizes. And, you know, I don't think we'll see a season like it. And as you just alluded to with the qualifying format changes, which we're yet to see, but we know they are going to change. I'm anticipating much more of a, hierarchical nature next season and I think um, certainly uh, Nick and pretty much the majority of the drivers um, who, who race in Formula E will welcome that um, because it got to the point where it wasn't a particularly fair system and yeah I think one season is more than enough of that kind of uh, chaos. Nick well if you and we're not putting you on the spot here um if you had to choose what how would you tweak the qualifying format to make it a more um uh, let's say let's say fair system um you know honestly i haven't spent much time thinking about uh, a better solution um ultimately my job is is uh, um doing my job best possible and that is uh, working together with the team in order to um, improve as a team and, and obviously uh, perform and, and execute on, on track. And, and that, that this qualifying forward has been a big topic. I think uh, everyone agrees uh, with that. But I'm not the type of person um, who is um, telling other people what, what, what they shouldn't, sh- should or shouldn't do and suggest because it's always easier to to be on the sideline and, and say, you know, you, you should do that or you should have done that. I don't have a clear solution. I think they have some ideas and uh, I'm sure that they will uh, improve the, the I would say, um, consistency of the championship. Um, and yeah, I think we, we are all very much welcoming a, a more um, consistent platform. So knowing what you knew about how qualifying could work as a, effectively a lottery, Cast your mind back just before you're going to Berlin, knowing that you're one of a number of drivers in with a shot of winning this championship. Did you have a, a fixed idea of uh, how you were going to play it strategically, or does formally just not allow you to have that mindset? Certainly not. I mean, you you have to take the the points on the day because, and especially at that point, we were leading, so the, there was no real strategy. We had a too big of a margin to drop out of qualifying group one 
for the second day. So all you can do then is is maximize the points. And I think that really has been our or I think that that has been our approach for for the entire season. And and given the way the championship was, I think that was the the, the only way. Yeah, exactly. You you couldn't have forecast the, the way it was going to plan out, and especially that final day where we saw Evans, Dennis, and Mortara effectively removed uh, within a in a lap of the race. I mean, how how aware were you of what was going on? Um, I was pretty well aware, even though we we don't really talk about it. Um, I I knew I knew what the situation was, and I I, I realized what was what had happened and what kind of consequences it had. Um, but at the same time, we still had people behind us and it was a long race. And I just, you know, ultimately I'm, I'm a racer and I wanted to do, yeah, to, to make progress. I felt like we had a very strong package on, on that day. And I think we did a great race. Um, I was quite vocal about the, um, yeah, the, um, the racing standards of, of some of our, rivals I, I appreciate or I understand the, the criticisms and I, I, I'm certainly not expecting people to go out of the way but I will tell you that if I would have been in in their shoes I would have been um, I would have not wanted to do I would have not um, want to involve myself in deciding the championship because I did a certain a certain move um, and and I think that that yeah, that that was my. That's how I felt about it. Um, and then ultimately, I was just disappointed that we didn't finish P three in the race because I think we we had a we had a great package and we did a great race. Um, so that was my first uh, yeah first reaction. Um, and and yeah, later things started to sink in. But um, ultimately, as I said, I, I'm a racer and I felt like we we missed out on a podium finish on that race and and I was initially disappointed about it. To be honest, we were quite surprised that you would take in such uh, an aggressive approach. I thought you might just cruise and collect when you saw the other guys by the side of the road. I think it says a lot about your um, racing mentality that you were still pushing to get that podium, even though you, you didn't need those additional points. Yeah, but I, I, I think that is no question. I mean, I cannot imagine myself having just cruised around. I mean, that's just not the nature of um a racing driver and i i'm there to race and to to maximize uh the package i got given by the team and and you know ultimately i always want to uh, extract the maximum possible uh result out of uh, the package i got given so um for me it, it wasn't even a question sam what do you make of that because we know how fine the margins can be informally those walls are pretty unforgiving yeah, you know, I think in the last podcast we did straight after Berlin, I, I sort of, you know, the, the same questions that I thought Nick maybe was a bit too aggressive. But, you know, I wasn't privy to everything going on. And, of course, there's a whole load of hindsight to play with here. But I couldn't quite get my head around at the time why he was getting so involved so much. But, look, you know, he's just he's just given the answer there. And listening to the radio um, highlights, which Formula E do so well, Formula E TV do this, highlights montage which comes out a couple of weeks after the race there was obviously still the team's title up for grabs which people seem to forget and and nick was under some instruction from his uh engineer albert Lau to to fight for the team's title also so you know when when you have someone of sam bird's quality on a mission coming from quite far back in the field anything can happen 
and they had to cover him and Jaguar Racing because they were quite close in the team's title. And there was also still at that stage the two Diesta Cheetahs of Jean-Eric Vernon and Antonio Felix da Costa in play as well. So, you know, Degrassi took care of da Costa quite terminally, let's say. Uh, and then Vern faded a bit. But when Sam Bird did what he did and what he can do and come through so quickly, there was, there was you know, it wasn't a surprise that Albert Lau, Nick's engineer, communicated with him about the team's title. Yeah, it was fraught. There was a lot going on. Um, in fact, so fraught that I think Albert almost got knocked off his Zen state there, Nick, didn't he? He's, he's such a calming voice during the race. But when I watched those highlights, even Albert was getting a little bit, you know, there's a slight raise in the octave of his voice there. Yeah, but, but the only reason why Sam was, why he came through on, on that last lap two positions was because because of all the mess around us. I mean, we had a significant pace and um, I, I felt like we, we should not have been in the whole kind of dogfight. And it just, that felt very frustrating for me because obviously Vern pushed me so much into the second corner that my wheels were in the air. So I was out of control um, for, yeah, basically through the corner and on the exit until I, I got released from, from Vern. And I was just upset with then, uh, obviously, when I went for P3, uh, I felt like I had to miss my breaking point because I was afraid. Uh, Sims was almost T-boning me. Then I did a move on Pascal, and he, he, he went all the way to the wall while my nose was almost in there. So I hit the, had to hit the brakes, and it just felt like... But, but that was also my personal experience. Like, I, I don't want to... Um, criticize anyone because I, I appreciate everyone was fighting at that stage but in the car it, it was like like it felt like I was a target I can imagine that those of us who have worked around uh, Formula E know that uh, Alejandro was uh, has some sort of legendary after party so did you manage to take some of that adrenaline off in style afterwards uh yes <laughs> I, I think I think uh Alejandro and his crew um, uh, had one one mission, and that was to wipe me out as soon as possible. Um, and uh, did they succeed? And, uh, given, given my uh, body with um, no food and relieved of stress and very low fat percentage, uh, fat percentage that uh, that doesn't require much. So they they certainly succeeded. How long did it take to recover? <laughs> Well, I had a morning flight to Le Mans the next day, and and actually the the next day uh, was 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 busy with with interviews and uh, commitments. Um, uh, yeah, for for Mercedes on my way to Le Mans, so I had no time to yeah to feel to feel bad basically. When we were talking uh, before we started recording this podcast, we were um, talking about the reaction of the uh, of the Dutch fans at Zandvoort, especially for Max. What was the reaction? Uh, back at home for you winning this because obviously uh, a lot was made of the fact you were the first ever or are the first ever Dutch world champion. Yeah, in all honesty, I, I have very little um, kind, very little feelings towards being the first. Or I don't even know if it's true to be honest. But but I, in all honesty, I don't really care. Um, I also said prior to the end of the season that the world championship title obviously add adds a little bit more and and it, you know you, you will go into the the books as a world champion but ultimately what what 
yeah, what matters for me the most is is how our environment and how our community uh, looks at Formula E. And I think Formula E um, is a, a very well established championship, and there are a lot of strong teams, manufacturers, and and drivers. And even though it was a controversial season, ultimately uh, this this you know will 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 be there forever, and no one takes that away from us. And 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 that. Um, kind of satisfying uh, and and little proudness, um, yeah, matters for me the most. Excellent. Well, we've had a couple of questions submitted by members of the Race Members Club. If anyone wants to find out about that, if you go to the hyphenrace.com forward slash members club, it explains how it all works. The first of them is from Tamara Salter, who wants to know, looking back, which one of those races are you most uh, happy with the performance from your championship winning season? Um probably Saudi um, I think that was a very strong weekend but I was uh, also actually very happy and and yeah pleased with Valencia um, I, I can understand that people uh, maybe thought I was almost too happy but I was basically or we were basically running second the whole race and um, I did not know what had happened uh, when I came off, off the line and, and, and came in the pits. So so I basically thought we promoted from second to first and and we did a good race strategically. Uh, but then obviously in hindsight, I, uh, yeah, I understand that maybe, um, yeah, we, we should have been a bit less, uh, less, less happy. Um, and then obviously London was very strong, but um, yeah, uh, I think Saudi... Uh, wins that one um, because I think that was the, the strongest performance and, and that was uh, yeah a very um, important weekend and race to kind of um, yeah make our point. And the second one comes from Liam O'Rourke who is asking a question that was effectively on everybody's lips and that is you were linked with the Williams F1 drive and obviously that's now gone to Alex Albon, but there's still a seat open at Alfa Romeo, at least at the time of recording. What you're going to give us a scoop? What what was the uh, what was going on there? A scoop. Um, a scoop. Well, um, well, first of all, I'm I'm very flattered and honoured that uh, my name is linked to a couple of um, Formula One teams, and that you know the, my name has been um, yeah in the air quite quite a lot recently. Um, I'm also yeah honored by the words that that uh, especially Toto has has said about me. But ultimately, I'm very well aware that in this world things change very quickly, um, and and I'm a very realistic person, and I I always you know focus on on what's the duty of today, and um, that that's really where my 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 focus is. So, what what the future brings, I don't know. Uh, things change quickly anyway and in order to continue to uh, open or, or to earn my opportunities and open up the open up doors uh, going forward in my career I will have to continue to to deliver and to perform in 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 every uh, race and, and weekend I do and and that's where my uh, focus and, and passion is actually and what all the rumors concerns you know that's that's also media and um, I have nothing to tell you. Um, time will tell. Uh, thank you very much for that. Obviously, we, you know, 
our readers want to know. So uh, they'll appreciate the uh, the answer, and uh, I I know how these things work. Well, that's all for our interview with the first ever ABB FIA Formula E World Champion. I think that that is an honour that's uh, always going to stay with you. So you'll be in the record books forever with that, which is uh, a great accolade. Um, thank you so much for your time and. Uh, being with us we wish you all the best for whatever's coming up over the uh, the rest of the year and and for next season don't forget to check the website for all of sam's news and gossip as it evolves from the formula e paddock and we'll be back sam, with- sam always knows more than us <laughs> well that's what i pay him for yeah I, I thanks yeah i need a pay rise thanks for that nick oh, this has cost me a lot now <laughs> it, it's it's actually true it's it's true whenever we, we joke that Sam always knows everything before us, even insights about our team. So we, we certainly follow <laughs> follows, uh, follow the race to, to be up to date with all the all the latest news. Oh, well, I mean, that's a better plug than the one I was going to script. So we'll just call it a day there. So thank <laughs> you very much, everyone. And we'll see you soon. Goodbye.